also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Repent. The end is near. <laughs> That's good. I like Daniel. I love this, this feedback I get from the organ. It's very good. I lived in New York for a few years um, when I was in seminary. And anytime you go down to Times Square, and this is, of course, we've all seen the pictures, but it really was there. Less so today than it used to be. But somebody would always have a sign or there'd be a street preacher there, and often they would say just that, repent, the end is near. And they were usually, um, they looked a little rough, rough-hewn a, a bit. Uh, people you didn't necessarily, you felt like if you engaged in conversation, they may attack you, you know, in some way. And so I typically would see them and I would try to avoid them, kind of get on the other side of the street or do something else to be anywhere that they were not. Repent, the end is near. And we've all seen the signs that they'll hold up at basketball games, the guy in the rainbow wig, which I almost tried to get a rainbow wig so I could wear it today. It says John 3.16. Sometimes it spins around so that I guess in the loving nature of Jesus you can force the other team to miss their free throw. But, you know, it's, uh, it's it, signs. So I've th been thinking a lot about signs and what they point us to. Um, we see signs all around us, but oftentimes we don't see the signs that are all around us, like the repent sign or even the John 3.16 sign. They become so common, or they become something that we really don't want to see, so we just don't see them, right? Today's gospel talks about John the Baptist. And in many ways, he is the man standing on the street corner holding up the sign that says, repent, the end is near. John the Baptist, we learn from other parts in the Gospels, looked pretty rough-hewn. Wearing animal fur, he lived out in the wilderness, he lived down in the Dead Sea area with the Essenes, it was probably not very conducive to clean living. Right? So this is somebody that you might see from a distance and say, if you were driving a car, kids lock the doors. Right? We're, he might attack us. I'm not sure, but I'm thinking that this guy might just do that. And John the Baptist is preaching a message that is very difficult to hear. Preaching a message about weakness and strength. And in many ways, that's the whole Christmas story, isn't it? Weakness over strength. And he's preaching a very difficult message, using the words of the prophet Isaiah. And a prophet oftentimes would speak words of comfort, but a prophet would also speak words that were difficult to hear. And so I'm going to deviate here. I do this occasionally. And so I'm going to kind of come down from here because I want to talk a little bit about what this is said to me because I was convicted this week reading these lessons. 
So there is both comfort and there is challenge in the lessons today from John the Baptist speaking to us. The comfort is wonderful for all of us because all of us have been or will be in a wilderness of sorts in our lifetime. You have had it going your way, right? And we've all been there. It seemed like everything was coming up roses. To quote Ethel Merman, is that right? <laughs> Um, everything you touched was gold. Everything you did just returned dividends. And then all of a sudden, kind of like Kurt Vonnegut says, it's not what you think it's going to be, it's what hits you on a random Tuesday. <laughs> you find yourself on the other side of the coin. And it isn't going so well. And suddenly it's as if the world is against you. That everything you touch is not turning to gold. We've all been there. And we will all be there again. Such is the nature of life. Weakness and strength. Moments. And so the good news from the prophet today, speaking those words from Isaiah, is that when you are in your valley, you will be brought up. When you are on the mountaintop, you will be brought down to where we will join in a community of love together to witness our Lord and our Savior, who is coming, who has come, and who will come again. And for those who are flailing in places of grief, for those who are flailing in places of reversal, that is good news. That is infused with hope. That is something that we want to sing from the mountaintops. And I could end there, right? All will be well. But I'm not going to do that. Because it is a word of comfort, but it is also a word of challenge. See, the crooked paths, they're going to be made straight. Every one of us in our hearts has a crooked path. You know, in the ancient world, there were no paved roads. Right? I mean, I, you don't have to be a scholar to know that, do you? Um, it's kind of like when I was at the University of Alabama, we used to, we never took the sidewalk. We never were sidewalks all over the quad. But what you did is you kind of found the divots in the grass that people had been walking over for the last 35 years, and you kind of followed one of those paths. And that's what it was in the ancient world. I mean, it wasn't a paved road, per se. It was a path that had been worn down by travelers that had gone before you, that had gone before them, and back for centuries, probably. And they went around boulders, and they went over streams, and they did all the things that went going around the obstacles. So you just kind of came on one of those paths. But when you were Shanakarib, or one of the big kings of the ancient world, when you went out into the world, when you were making a trip to take your chariots and your whole entourage that would go with you, you couldn't go on a rough-hewn path that went around boulders. You'd send out your folks well in advance, your advance team, and they would basically pave, so to speak, a road for you. They would clear out the obstacles. They would make a path for the entourage and for the king. And so what John the Baptist is saying is what the prophet Isaiah said. You know, he prophesied about the one to come. 
Because God had been sending prophets and messengers, and they had been ignored or killed for centuries and centuries. And now John the Baptist is saying, the one he's talking about, he's coming. It's the king. Make way for the king. Make those crooked paths straight. So it begs the question that we talked about today in Christian Ed. It's a question that Tim Keller talks about. What's the God in your life? Is he your king? And are you preparing the way for him today? Because as I read the gospel, I was convicted because I oftentimes want God's stamp of approval on what I'm already doing. I want God to kind of follow me on my path. Because I'm comfortable. I don't want to have to move that rock, God. Come this way, we can go right around it. We can ignore it like it's not there. But it is there. And until I address it, the path won't be straight. And my heart won't be ready for Jesus. We want God to follow our own crooked paths. John the Baptist goes on in Luke's Gospel. We don't read about that today. And he talks about the root and that there's an axe at the root. What's the fruit of your life? And if it's something other than love and peace and hope and what Jesus brings into it, then there's something else at the root that is your motivation. There's something else that's your functional God and your king. Because if Advent is all about carols and hymns and kind of patiently waiting to carve out a comfortable nook in your library where you can read your daily devotion, then you just might not be making room for the king. And he might not be the functional God of your life. That's why I was convicted. Because I'm not always making room. I'm not always preparing the way. There are times when I talk with my mouth about God and what is my Savior in the world. And yet I want God just to follow me. John the Baptist speaks powerful words people of Israel, but to each and every one of us today. There's a great story. It is told, it's called the Whisper Test, and it is a, a woman who tells about being a child growing up with a cleft palate. And so she had a face that was somewhat disfigured. Uh, she had a smile that was crooked. She talked uh, in a very interrupted way, and that was her life. I mean, her whole life was valid. Because as you can imagine, children can be cruel. They can be wonderful, but they can be cruel. And she was reminded every single day of her life that she was different. She was reminded every single day of her life that she didn't belong in some way, or she was made to feel that way. And she felt at a time that the only people that could love her were her family. And they had something called the whisper test at school. And they would stand up against the 
the chalkboard and they would cover one ear and the teacher would walk by and she would whisper something in their ear. Then they had to repeat that. It's kind of a, a fundamental or rudimentary hearing test. And she would say something like, the sky is blue or the sun is yellow. And they would have to repeat that. And she went up to this little girl when it was her turn with the cleft palate. And she said, I wish you were my little girl. Seven words that literally changed her life. I wish you were my little girl. This day God says to us, you are my little girl. You are my little boy. And the beginning is near. Turn to God. For we look for the birth of God's Son, this Advent, but we also look and listen for the signs of God's salvation. And it can be as easy as, you know, we try to make things so difficult. You know, there were a hundred things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath, more than that. And eventually you're like, forget it, I can't remember, I can't even remember the names of my kids all half the time. How can I remember that? And we think about all these things that we have to do during Advent. If you do this and you do that and you read this and you read that and jump up and down on one leg while you read the gospel, then it'll all come to you. And before you know it, you just chunk it all. Take five minutes, three minutes, this Advent. Even if it's as simple as saying, God, help me. God, have mercy on me because I can't do it. And in that three minutes, you are reminded that there is a God and it is not you. You are reminded in that moment, that fleeting moment, that Jesus has come into your heart and in your life and will give you strength to move those boulders that seem like they are insurmountable. You are my child. God says to us this Advent, I have given you more than a sign. I have given you more than a whisper test. I have given you myself. I have given you my son. I have given you a Savior. Amen. Amen.